0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing artificial intelligence, AI, the government's AI strategy and how AI technologies are being deployed in the UK at the moment. With me to discuss that is Dr. Kate Devlin, reader in Artificial Intelligence and Society at King's College London. Dr. Kate Devlin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: So I want to start with the government's AI strategy that was published in September 2021. What are the key aims of that strategy?
1: This is a a national strategy for AI with a kind of a 10-year vision for what the UK should be doing. So the emphasis is really on long-term investment. How is AI going to be uh, receiving funding? How is it going to be supported? And they use this term AI ecosystem to refer to all the different aspects of artificial intelligence that are are being implemented throughout the country. Um, They want to support innovation and therefore sort of transform the economy via that means. And also to look at governance, which is a particularly tricky area for AI. So that's not just national governance and regulation, but international as well, how we fit into the bigger landscape.
0: So let's have a look at some of the elements that you've been picking out. And this idea of an AI enabled economy appears in that document. And the government talks about a transition to that, ensuring that benefits reach all sectors and benefits reach all regions of the UK. What does that actually mean in practice? What what are the issues that, that sort of underneath this?
1: AI is already used very widely, so it's in our lives every day. We might not even notice it because the the apps that we take for granted, a lot of them are powered by machine learning. But it's not sort of equally distributed yet in that there are some businesses just starting out on that journey. There are others who've been using it for several years now, and it hasn't reached all sectors of society either. Uh, So there are people who are not fully participating in the digital economy, because for a number of reasons, it could be that they don't have access to the technologies, it could be a divide brought on by poverty. So there's there's also a skills gap. So we have people who are tech experts in this country, but we also have people who don't have that grinding. but in the future will need it. So it's about trying to make that, bring that into balance and make sure that everybody benefits from the technology.
0: So a whole range of separate issues there that government's trying to tackle through this strategy. Let's talk a little bit about deployment of AI technologies. Where are we already seeing this happening, both in the public sector and in the private sector?
1: Well, anyone who's carrying a smartphone is basically carrying around something capable and probably running some form of artificial intelligence. So if you decide that you need to go somewhere and you fire up some kind of map to, to use on your phone, you're using AI. If you're getting directions when you're driving, you're probably using AI. If you're on social media, the feed that you see is being powered by that. If you watch TV or listen to music streaming service, then the recommendations you get are powered by AI. So it's already being deployed, but it's also being deployed at other major areas like the finance sector, in healthcare. So we have things in healthcare like diagnosis through medical imaging, where uh, machine learning can spot anomalies in medical images and be able to identify those far more accurately and often quicker than than a human would be able to spot them. We have surgery that's guided by robots as well. And then in in the business world, um, a lot of systems are running that in order to organize logistics worldwide. And in the energy sector, that's quite important as we try to move towards a net zero economy, which we try to make sure that our energy uses are brought in line in terms of climate change goals. So AI can also help balance that as well.
0: So it's a a vast range of things being used already. Enormous. Enormous. (laughs) And yet there are still things that are holding back further development of AI. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of those?
1: AI is being used to automate a lot of systems. That's what it works really well at. It takes away the onerous tasks, uh, repetitive tasks that humans might have to carry out. Uh, There are some areas where it's, it's not as well suited and there are some areas that so far we are not major players in that field so we are competing with the likes of silicon valley where there is huge amounts of money being poured into the tech industry and we have some of that expertise here so we need to make sure that we are we remain significant um, in the development of ai in the future so there's still areas that need a lot of scrutiny as well because where we could use AI, we may not always want to use AI, it may not be the most suitable tool, because AI is inherently biased in the way that it processes data. So we have to be very conscious of places where AI could be problematic. And that might include uh, things like predictive policing, uh, facial recognition, or even defence.
0: Well, let's dig into a bit of an example. And this is an area which I know that you're involved in yourself, the Trusted Autonomous Systems Hub, a major project funded by UKRI. And it's quite interesting that that word trusted is there. But tell me a little bit about this project, and then we can get into some of those issues around trust.
1: The TAS Hub, Trusted Autonomous Systems Hub, is a a multi-million pound UKRI-funded project. It's part of the UKRI's Trusted Autonomous Systems Programme and it brings together three universities. It's led us by Southampton, it also involves the University of Nottingham and King's College London, which is where I work. And the idea is to establish a collaborative platform in the UK so that we can develop socially beneficial autonomous systems. And that word trust is really key. So can it be trusted in principle and also trusted in practice? Can individuals have faith in the systems that they use? And are they socially good? And and can the government trust them as well? So these three universities then have involvement from other universities who are nodes on that hub and who look at things like verifiability, resilience, governance, all the things that we might need to consider when we're building trusted autonomous systems.
0: So in a way, that's an underlying set of technologies that can then be applied in several different usage areas. What are some of the sort of users potentially for some of these systems that we're talking about?
1: Oh, they cover all sorts of things. Um, and we, each year we award funding to run a series of pilot projects, or what we call pump priming projects. So we have projects that look at self-driving cars, that look at robotics and healthcare, in the cultural sector, things like museums and galleries. Really, it's really quite limitless in terms of what we we can support. So really quite broad. And the autonomous system is really any software that can take action with very little supervision. So We're not completely ruling humans out of the loop necessarily. There are systems that are fully autonomous and do that. But anything that automates a process and then the trust part, well, trust is defined in, in... very different ways by by different research disciplines but in TAS it's about the relationships between humans and the systems that they use.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about how all of this fits into the government strategy how how TAS and this issue of trust fits into the sort of the wider AI strategy.
1: It fits in many ways. So we are doing a lot of the work that we're trying to progress things in the same way that the the government is steering things. So it kind of aligns really nicely. But one of the things that we do as well is is train. We provide skills as well. So we have doctoral training centres that are advising and supervising PhD students to develop skills in this area so that we're kind of trying to support the next generation of researchers coming up in, into that and that's a very big part of the government strategy. The government strategy goes even earlier and looks at school level onwards so how can, how can we really embed the skills needed and the understanding needed and that digital literacy at an early age. Uh, so we're trying to support that in the
0: work that we do. So earlier in your remarks you talked about governance and you even mentioned that there's decisions to be made about whether to use certain technologies, not just can we use certain technologies. How does this discussion happen? How how do we get a a public that understands what the technologies are and can help informed consent to build the kind of trust you're actually talking about in TAS.
1: Absolutely. The government is very keen to see that the public are informed about the technologies that are being deployed and being developed. Uh, That's a really key thing for us as well. And in fact, it's my own area of research is about that being informed and about the the power dynamics that are at play when when AI systems are used. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done here. So on the national and international stage, this really kicked off around sort of like 2016 when the effects of deep learning began to be seen and, and people started noticing the bias that was coming out of the systems. And that bias can come from different places. It can be that the data set is particularly subjective, that it takes data, historical data with historical biases uh, that we see in society every day, and then amplifies or perpetuates those. Um, it can be that it's non-representative, that it, it doesn't properly represent the groups of users who are intended to, uh, to use that system in the end. So we have to look at that. We have to consider are people being properly served by the technology? So the field of AI ethics has become uh, really important in terms of their contributions to this. And that's a a global community of researchers who want to examine just how beneficially this technology is being deployed and where the issues are. Governance is really tricky. So governance is problematic because of things like jurisdiction. So there are companies operating out of different places in the world but they have a, a global audience. So how do we regulate those? Do we have national strategies? Do we have um, European strategies? And in fact, the EU has now brought out their own AI Act. Do we have things enshrined in law or should it be guidelines and regulations? It's really, really tricky because there's no sort of overall governing world stage level way of imposing any kind of ethical system and in fact first of all you'd have to get people to agree to a definitive ethical system which itself is problematic so you know do we let corporations govern themselves and that's been proposed but of course there are all sorts of problems in that as well we've seen that that's not working particularly effectively quite the challenge really but fortunately, in the UK that's one of the things that we're really good at and the um, all-party parliamentary group on AI has been tackling this for some years now and has come up with a really good report two years ago three years ago now, outlining some of the issues we have to look at.
0: Let's look at an individual example just to tease some of this out. So one of the things that's often quoted in this space is facial recognition technology. And you can almost immediately see how it could be used for good and for ill, and that there's a difference depending on whether it's accurate or not accurate. But thinking about the ethics and the governance of something like that, at some stage, the government will need I guess to, to to make some decisions. How does it how does it go about that? Who needs to be involved? How, how does it all hang together? So
1: facial recognition is particularly a controversial area. And um, it's been used for many years now, but it was deep learning which deep learning sort of took off in about 2012 that really ramped it up. And this rapid uptick led to increased awareness that it's fundamentally flawed. Um, So we know, for example, that algorithms have consistently consistently lower matching accuracies on faces that are black or female or aged 18 to 30, for example, that was one of the very first things that emerged from studying the impact of this. So not only are people being misidentified by facial recognition systems, they're also more likely to be enrolled in those systems and subject to processing. So we see that bias in society being perpetuated in the algorithm. And this has led to some really egregious cases where we've had misclassified images. For example, Google in, um, in 2015 had to publicly apologize when its photo software automatically classified a black couple as gorillas. I mean, this is really, really awful. This is how bad it was. And in 2017, it still hadn't fixed the problem. It just implemented a workaround by removing the search terms. And... You know, outside of Silicon Valley, we know of other cases, there's been lots of talk in China where technology-driven surveillance is being used for general social monitoring, but it's ramped up in Uyghur areas, and there have been Chinese corporations and academics publishing articles that claim to distinguish Uyghur people via facial recognition, um, so targeting specifically for discrimination. So we know that in some cases there are going to be benefits to this if the system worked in an ideal world. Perhaps we could see facial recognition being used very positively. It could, you know, it could at airports or borders. We could have quicker transit through. If we had policing where it was, you know, in a, in a very well maintained environment where that data was accurate, um, then we would be able to see perhaps more effective deployment. The problem is that it's not perfect, and so we have this this concern that that what we do is going to be discriminating against groups that are already discriminated against in society.
0: And are there any other technologies that we're not talking about that fall into this same kind of issue that in theory they have a great usage, but there's a potential for discrimination because of the way they happen to fall out at the moment?
1: Any technology really, you have the power for bad actors to come in and exploit it. But I think in the case of AI, it's particularly problematic because it's so scalable. So you have this opportunity to ramp things up hugely uh, in capacity. There have been lots of campaigns, for example, against the use of autonomous weapons in battle. So there's the campaign against campaign to stop killer robots, um, for example. The worry is that autonomous technology, even things like drones, could carry payloads of weapons and because they don't have a human in the loop, could make kill decisions automatically, which, because we know that we are working always with a sense of bias and and possible um, distortion in the data, could be really, really problematic. So anything that involves a threat to people, that involves any kind of judgment automatically, we have to be wary of.
0: I guess, in my rather simple mind, I assume that you're comparing the judgment of a system versus the judgment of humans in another situation. And it's a little bit like autonomous vehicles. There's a huge amount of reporting when autonomous vehicles go wrong. But the question in my mind is, at what point do autonomous vehicles become safer than human driven vehicles, not at what point do they come 100% safe in every circumstance?
1: Absolutely. An autonomous vehicle is a really interesting one because we know it's very likely that if we can get it right, we're going to save many, many more lives on the roads because autonomous vehicles are, could have the potential to be incredibly safe. The problem comes when you start mixing in the non-autonomous vehicles on the road, um, because we don't have a straightforward transition from one day we're all in the cars driving them ourselves to the next day everything everyone is in an autonomous vehicle. So we have to look at that, that hinterland where the two coexist at once. And of course, yes, there is a, often perhaps a skewed perception. So we hear of some really horrific accidents involving the development of autonomous vehicles. But it's absolutely minor in comparison to the amount of road traffic accidents every day.
0: And are these some of the issues that the TAS Hub is, is grappling with? This wide range of different applications.
1: Absolutely, we have projects running in, in many different spheres: um, healthcare, um, energy, maritime, uh, autonomous vehicles on the roads. Yes, yeah, so we're we're looking at, at many different aspects of those. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, just as we come to the end, I want to ask you one final question. So, imagine this wonderful scenario where suddenly you're responsible. For the UK's AI strategy. What would be your priorities over the next couple of years?
1: Oh, I go absolutely paracrazy. I think that my main aim, and, and, and possibly I'm quite aligned with the government on this, would be to make sure that the development environment for artificial intelligence is much more diverse. We are currently in um, a stage where the majority of AI development is done by white men. So it tends to be very exclusive of people of color and of women. So I'd love to see that balance addressed a bit. I'd love to see more initiatives to to increase diversity. Interestingly, one of the TAS Hub's major components when we we assess people through our our grant funding is to have a clear commitment to equality, diversity, um, and inclusion, but also towards responsible research innovation, which is about how do we make sure the technology we're developing is being developed by a diverse team, but also that we're putting responsibility at the core of it to make sure that the whole development environment is itself ethical. And I think that's really, really key.
0: Well, let's see how close the government get to your priorities over the next couple of years. That's all we've got time for today. But uh, Dr. Kate Devlin, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr. Kate Devlin, reader in Artificial Intelligence and Society at King's College London. AI is the subject of the next evening event being organised by the Foundation on the 23rd of February. Details of that event and how to register, and it's free, by the way, plus details of all our other events, all our blogs and all previous editions of this podcast can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Until the next time, goodbye.